All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got the Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast or Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps. Don't forget to leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 1,646 points, or 4.6%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 265 points, or 5.7%. And the NASDAQ last week was down 1,125 points, or 7.6%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 5.7%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 7.7%, and the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 12%. 12%. We're down 12%. I'm sorry, Kyle. That's okay. I'm I'm fired up this week. Jeff's Uh on a roll. He's already rolled. We're just going to call him butter. The NASDAQ is down 12% in 14 trading days. What is the news that's new, gentlemen, in the last 14 days, 14 trading I mean, days, what is I mean, it? What's the new really, news? Really, there, there is no new news. Right. I mean, what we've been talking about on the Money Wise program for the last several weeks and conversations I had with clients even going back into December is that we had been preparing all of our listeners, all of our clients, that we are long overdue for a correction in the market. And while it is never fun as an investor to go through a correction to see the unrealized losses ticking up in your portfolio as the correction is going through its process. This is when you have to check your intestinal fortitude, check your emotions, understand that corrections or is a normal part of the market cycle and maintain that long-term perspective. And we've been talking about this for weeks and weeks and weeks on the Money Wise program that we're long overdue. And I don't feel that this will be the last corrective move that the market sees in 2022. But I just want to put things in perspective because we mentioned it on last weekend's radio show that we have seen January's like the January and years past, like the January we're seeing right now. So I did some research on Friday 
went back and looked at 2016. Now, in the year 2016, from January 1st of 2016 to February 12th, of 2016, the S&P 500 had a correction without dividends of 8.76%. So we saw an 8.7% corrective move from January 1st to February 12th. By the end of 2016, the S&P 500 with dividends ended the year positive 11.96%. And if you want to take those numbers even further, From the February 12th corrective low of 2016, the market ran up, the S&P 500 ran up 54% to January the 26th of 2018. So the reason why I'm bringing that up is a corrective move isn't the end of capitalism as we know it. When I describe corrections or just the, the... the movements of the stock market, I always like to paint a middle picture. So paint the middle picture that you're climbing a mountain and the mountain is the stock market and you are that stock going up the mountain. You can't climb to the top of that mountain all in one day or all in one week. There are periods of time where you get winded and you have to come back down the mountain a little bit and form a base camp where you can rest. Well, that is what the stock market is currently doing. We have had three years in a row of double-digit returns in the S&P 500 in 2019, 2020, and 2021. We have talked ad nauseum on this program for weeks and weeks now that the the statistical probabilities that we're going to see another double-digit return in the S&P 500 for 2022 is very small. But we are still bullish on the market. In fact, when we gave our predictions Earlier this month, we were all in agreement that we're going to see a high single-digit return in the S&P 500, and I think all of our predictions are still in place. We have not changed our prediction. Now, we are more cautious as a bull. This is why our macro allocations in a moderate allocation is hovering right around that 62% allocation to stocks, and we feel comfortable with that allocation. But from all the changes that we made on January 3rd of adjusting our index base, diversifying away from single stock risk, we have seen our index base outperform the markets. All the changes that we made on the fixed income side of our portfolios are beating every single fixed income indice that's available. So the changes that we made are working. Is the number a negative number? Yes. Is it outperforming the market as a whole? Yes. But these are corrective moves. And if you're going to be an investor on Wall Street, you have to keep your emotions in check. As I have said on this program for years, emotions will do more damage to your portfolio than the stock market ever can or will. You have to maintain that long-term perspective. But the other thing we have to think about, and because we've had these three years in a row of double-digit returns in the S&P, We talked about this on past programs, complacency, investors' complacency. They have this expectation that the market is just going to be clipping off a few percentage points of gain each and every month. That is not how the stock market works. Never have and never will. This is why not getting complacent, knowing what you own, active asset management, making adjustments to your strategy when that strategy needs to be adjusted, 
to try to mitigate risk and continue to maintain that long-term perspective. I'm going to take a breath. Yeah. That was a <laughs> I was, lot. I was looking at the portfolio changes that we'd made at the beginning of the year. <clears throat> and just for my rough count, we, we had transactions in 40 different stocks on the first day of the year. And I see we're coming up here to the end of the, end of the uh, first segment, so I want to save my thought to the next segment. Okay, well, we'll pick up on the other side of the break after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast applications. And don't forget to leave comments about the Money Wise program, and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, just recapping, and I would really say not just this past week, but so far this year, and as all of our investors, all of our listeners would know, the market is in a classic corrective move, a classic corrective pattern. And I hate to say just a run-of-the-mill correction because, as I said in the last segment, seeing unrealized losses, unrealized losses amass on your portfolio, basically your paper losses, it's never fun. And then when you turn on the nightly news or no matter what news you tune, tune into, you have a lot of um, teleprompter readers exacerbating some fears and some emotions, and they've never managed money a day in their life. So, you know, money-wise, I would say, is the best source to get the straight skinny of what's going on on Wall Street from actual portfolio managers to put things in perspective. And so Jeff was talking before we went to break of all the adjustments we made on our portfolio on January the 3rd. So Jeff, I'll let you pick up. I think I counted roughly 40 stocks in our individually managed accounts and owns individual stocks and individual bonds that we sold. Uh, Most of these we reduced, meaning we still own the stocks. Some of them we sold outright. The majority of them we just took profits. And so we took profits in, in, in roughly 35 of those 40 stocks on the first trading day of the year, January the 3rd. And then on the mutual fund side, y'all can correct me if my memory's wrong here, we reduced our large cap growth fund. Significantly. significantly. And, we, and we moved it to an equally weighted S&P. And, and uh, we, we, we it took a large profit in it. The only thing we could have done different there was we, we, in retrospect, considering what's happened, is maybe sold the whole thing outright. But we took it from a 20% allocation to an 8% allocation and it took a profit. <clears throat> now, obviously, uh, hindsight being 2020, we should have just sat on the cash until February, March. Who knows when this corrects itself, when this turns around. But you, you, you're averaging a 1% decline. <clears throat> decline per day in the NASDAQ. <clears throat> so in 14 trading days, we're down 12%. That's almost a percent a day. That is not 
realistic. It is not sustainable. And it's not unusual because, and I'm going to throw out a, a little, another statistic here. The NASDAQ, it's because the NASDAQ is what's getting all the attention right now. It's, no it's full, it, technology. No it, one's really a talking. lot of technology it's, because it, it, it fits so well in this narrative that this is like the dot-com era. No, it is not. No, it is not <laughs> like the dot-com era. It is Nowhere not. Close. Are, are there pockets in the market? Are there certain investments? And some of those I use very much in quotations and very loosely, ladies and gentlemen, because I don't really consider Bitcoin an investment. And all the Bitcoin lovers, money-wise at davidsoncap.com, if you want to take me to task on that. Well, and Jeff, <clears throat> Jeff in our commentary called them market oddities. Yeah, they're market oddities. Theme stocks. So, yes, there are some areas of the market that have some froth, no doubt. That, that look like dot-com stocks. But the amount of money in those investments pales in comparison to the amount of money that was in the dot-com stocks and all stocks in general in the late 20th century. Um, that's not what we're in now. But all of the media people cannot keep from tripping over themselves to try to predict that this is the next dot-com-like bust in stocks. And we had a perma bear whose name I have never heard of come out of the bear den this week. <laughs> you know, we used to talk about David, David Tice. Tice. David Tice was our whipping boy for bearish people, bearish analysts, bearish managers of money. And I use that term very loosely from the beginnings of our show. Now, 16 years ago, you don't hear about David Tice anymore because he sold his business in 2008, 2009, at the height of the financial crisis and took his cash and went someplace and retired. More power to him. Now we got another perma bear out everywhere. If you do a search online of NASDAQ declines or bear markets or whatever, this guy must have the most genius-filled internet geniuses running his marketing machine because his articles pop up everywhere in your search and now he's popping up everywhere in the media so he popped up where, where did you see him? market watch market, market watch. watch friday morning watch. right so his name is jeremy granham and grantham. he jeremy grantham. Grantham. sorry pardon me grantham <laughs> and he's the co-founder of boston asset management firm gmo and they have a stable of mutual funds in various different asset classes. And their flagship, flagship mutual fund goes by the name of the GMO Benchmark Free Allocation Fund. And this is the one thing I always like to – always you should do. When you see somebody going on there acting like they're this expert and pushing whatever their agenda is – Go back and look at their record. Go check out online what they're really all about. And this mutual fund, this flagship mutual of this fund, has a two-star rating out of five stars being the best. Two stars. Two-star mutual fund would never appear in any Davidson Capital portfolio ever, ever. It wouldn't, it, it's not good. I mean, the, the performance of this mutual fund is not good. 
there are people that make a living saying the same things over and over and over and over on the bearer side of the equation. And so now we've got this, and, and, and all the articles start off with legendary. You know, what is, well, why is this guy legendary? Because he's stuck to his, he's stuck what to is his this, story what, the whole time, no matter what, is, what the market's what is done. So, what is so legendary that a broken clock is right twice a day? What's so legendary about that? He certainly didn't have a legendary mutual fund making money for clients. It was like, you know, just like David Tyson. David Tyson never made any money for anybody that owned the, the fund from its inception. Yeah, the Prudent Bear Fund had a negative net annualized rate of return if you bought it the day that it opened. And, of course, he sold it for over $100 million to, I believe, Franklin Templeton bought Something his like fund. That. And, they, and they renamed the fund. And, but, they re- but, and, and they renamed the fund. But here's the thing to add to Jeff's point. There is a cottage industry of fear-mongering. Yeah. When we start seeing corrections in the market, you start seeing more ads for gold, more ads for silver. I'm seeing them all the time in Fox. Mm-hmm. Now, something else that I have not seen in a while. I just received a mailer for your free steak dinner from guess what? An indexed annuity salesperson, <laughs> and they prey on investors' fear of markets and the market correction. And I'm telling you it, that that would be the last – I mean, you st- avoid annuities of all shape and form like the Black Plague. They are, they are absolute portfolio destroyers. So, so, so this perma bear is out saying that he, he believes that the market's going to drop 45% from its peak. S&P 500, 45%. Based on what? Based, based on, on what? His feeling, his gut feeling, is, is he, he's got his dousing rods out. I mean, again, when you look at companies, something like a Microsoft that's maybe down 10 or 12%, you know, you look at Microsoft being a worldwide industry leader, the total addressable market, the sales it puts up, the internal fundamentals of these companies. I mean, all these companies that have gotten taken out to the woodshed, particularly in the NASDAQ, you know, a good large majority of them with just rock solid fundamentals, rock solid sales, client base. This, as, as with any correction, this too shall pass. And if this, your story is as sensationalized and as epically scary as what this prognosticator is predicting, it gets you eyeballs, it gets you attention, it might get you some clients, it might get you some people to call you and say, well, maybe I ought to have some, this guy manage some of my money or buy some of his mutual funds. It's marketing. It's all marketing. Which just, just, just. takes out this ad look, look, out. essentially. Outlandish. We talk about know what you own. You need to know who you're listening to. So if you see a talking head on CNBC and you're going and you're sitting watching TV this weekend, you know, and before you call your advisor and start asking them questions or you call us or you're looking at your portfolio, you know it to yourself to research who that person is, what their track record is and what they're about. Do some do your own research. Well, and and, and again, we're not sitting here as perma bulls either. There are times where we're more bullish. There's times when we're less bullish. There's times where we play a lot more defense like during the COVID pullback, but I'm going to have to stop my thought because we got the bottom of the hour break. So I'm going to pick this up at on the other side of the commercial. You're listening to money wise with Davidson capital management. 
We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi or San Antonio office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to our MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps. Don't forget to leave your comments or like the show. So if you're just tuning in, I wanted to pick up on my thought. You know, we're talking about Jeremy Grantham and just the cottage industry of fear-mongering. You know, when you see market corrections, when you start seeing more ads about silver, more ads about gold, the annuity salesmen come out of the woodwork and they prey on investors' fear to get you to sign on the line in which is dotted to make themselves an absolute fortune while taking you and your portfolio out to the woodshed. I mean, we see this time and time again, and I know that this is ramping up because I just received a free steak dinner. It's called reciprocity. This is the reason why these annuity salesmen give you a free steak dinner because you feel obligated as part of a human being in your nature to give something back. So you give them your name, the number when they call you, Oh, Hey, I gave you a free steak dinner. Let me meet with you and tell you all the ways I can save your portfolio. We can get all the upside with none of the downside. And it's all Joe, it's all hogwash. They can, they can afford to buy the steak because they're charging 10%, 10% commission or more or more. They're, <laughs> they're about they're that. Those, oh, wait, no, buying. wait, the customer doesn't pay the commission. Oh yeah. Yeah, sure. Well, exactly. There are no commissions. And I've got oceanfront property in Arizona. I want to sell you guys. I mean, I mean, if you're going to go, you might as well take your entire family. I mean, can I, can I bring my kids? No, it's only you're only allowed two people. Okay, okay. So anyway, so you have to understand as an investor, you have to kind of see the, you know, see the force for the trees. And when we have these corrective moves, this is when the fear mongering starts because these fear mongers know that the awfulizing effect that every human being has in the brain, when you cannot foresee the future, you're going to fill it by nature with dread, with concern, with fear. Now, when you compound that with a typical market correction, which a lot of investors have not seen a, a substantive, a substantial correction in their portfolios for the last 36 months, all of a sudden they're wanting to go run for the hills. This is the absolute worst strategy you can take. This is why active asset management is such a key asset allocation and security selection. This is why you hire a team of absolute of actual money managers and not a bunch of financial salespeople. Yeah, Joe. Well, I want you, you mentioned 36 months ago and I was actually looking at Morningstar and looking at our portfolio uh, a couple years ago, actually going back to, to uh, 2020. And if you look at where we were, what stocks we own, um, what percentage of technology stocks we had, what, what percentage of uh, industrial stocks we had? What percentage of healthcare stocks? We've gone to a more of a barbell approach. So that's the one thing I wanted to emphasize is what is your manager or your, your broker or whoever you're using doing for you? Are they actually being proactive with your account? Or, or are you in a computer model with a fidelity, with a 
uh, I won't mention any names. Just one of the- <laughs> well, with every with every major large discount broker in the world with their robo per- portfolios that are based off a of Monte Carlo algorithm. I'm sorry, but the algorithms are written by human beings. Human beings are fallible. And when you take, when they're just trying to extrapolate money management to the frequency of the squiggly line, the technicals, and eliminate emotion and other aspects, the art aspect of money management, which dad has said from the very beginning, money management is a combination of art and science. The algorithms remove the art aspect. They try to break it down all to a science. And I'm sorry, it doesn't work. There is a combination of the two, and it takes years and years of experience of being in the trenches to make those decisions. You have to use your expertise to try to identify the asset classes that you feel are going to be performing better based on the economic, political conditions, market conditions we're currently in. And Joe, to your point, what you're talking about is how our industri- uh, the allocations to different industrial groups within the S&P 500 and how they have changed over time. And when you look at our portfolios today, after the last rebalance we did, the concentration that we have in financials, industrials, in um, the other sections that we're in, as far healthcare, as consumer discretionary, cons- consumer discretionary and healthcare, these four are the major industrial sectors that perform better historically during times of higher inflation and higher interest rates. And so we made that cognitive decision that we're wanting to shift our portfolios when we did this rebalance at the beginning of the year. And I can tell you that the stocks that we were adding to our portfolio going back six, eight months ago into 2021 we're with the mindset of what is 2022 going to look like because as long-term managers we're looking six months eight months 12 months 18 months down the road to make those decisions in the portfolio so all the stocks that we have been adding to our individual stock and bond portfolios is with the mindset what industry groups perform best in higher inflation and higher interest rates and those are the only stocks that we have brought in i think joe wanted to make a point well, also, if you look at stocks that are overvalued, and, and I won't go into the, the price-to-earnings ratio and what that means, but if you look at that two years ago, our P-E ratio was more than what the S&P was. And as of right now, it's actually less than the average uh, P-E ratio of the, of the uh, – Average stock in the S&P 500. Stocks. Correct. Well, so, and that's the barbell. And yeah, that's, that's the, the barbell. barbell approach. And it's taken a couple of years to get there, but that, that's between active and passive management. And but, the art of investing, if you will. But but then the other thing, and like we've talked going back to the beginning of this year, our macro allocation between stocks, bonds, and cash are the same as it was last year. It's just the internal components are different. So if you're in your portfolio and you're not seeing any changes being made in your portfolio or your advisor's not calling you who doesn't manage your assets, who actually has to get you to make the call of what there's changes are going to be made in your portfolio, are they calling you? Or is their advice stay the course? Because I know every major brokerage firm in the land, when we have these market corrections, it's like, oh, oh, we'll just stay the course. We'll just keep your allocation the way it's been. We'll keep your your asset class participation the way it's been for the last five or six years, and we're just going to keep piling ahead. Because a lot of these major firms don't have human beings managing money anymore. They rely on computers to make those decisions. And so – this, I think, is what, again, what we've been talking about on this program going back 16 years is 
Active asset management, allocation, security selection, keeping your emotions in check, maintaining a long-term perspective in your portfolio. This is what generates long-term wealth, retention, and growth of wealth to be able to live off of in retirement. Don't get overly emotional. This is a classic corrective move in the market. And I think that we're seeing this correction because I think the market is trying to handicap when the Federal Reserve is going to do their first interest rate increase and how many interest rate increases they're going to be doing this year. And so an old saying on Wall Street is sell the rumor and buy the news. Now we have the Federal Reserve meeting next week and they're going to be coming out Wednesday. And I have a feeling that their language might be a little more dovish with what has taken place so far this year. Well, gentlemen, what are y'all's thoughts? Well, the S and P right now, what's the S and P off the down 7.7% uh, off the high. So what well, is it off uh, the high? It's approaching 10%. So we're almost in correction territory with the S and P. So I, I agree with Kyle. They may be a little more dovish um, because at the end of the day, uh, there is a lot of wealth that's out there and there's been a lot of wealth that's been accumulated the stock market in the last and, three years, particularly, yes. and they're and, going to and, be somewhat cognizant of that. And I can, well, and I can, I think the bottom line with the Federal Reserve is they they don't want it. They don't want to do any harm. Do no harm. This is an election year. Uh, they don't. They don't want to do something that's going to harm the economy. And the 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 market's reaction to the predicted three interest rate increases this year, going from zero to 0.75%. That's that's kind of the average base case. It, it varies from two to four interest rate increases. Three interest rate increases equals an 11, a 12% decline in the NASDAQ in 14 trading days. Now, does this sound like an overreaction in some ways? Is it if this is a little bit, reason, little if bit, is, if this is what's motivating what's happening in the market, you know, I got an email this week from a client who was who was doing some very interesting analysis, looking at the relationship between price to earnings computations and interest rates and how the P.E. level of a, a particular stock and how it should relate to interest rates. And if interest rates go higher, that the PE has to come down X number of percent. And it was a very interesting analysis. I'm going to be sending him some statistical evidence that interest rates and PEs don't seem to have any correlation at all. Meaning as interest rates go up, it doesn't necessarily mean that PEs have to collapse and stocks have to collapse along with them. There's just not really any correlation. Uh, we had, like you said in two segments ago, Kyle, you have three straight years of double-digit returns in the market. There's going to be a period of correction. There's so, going so, to be a backing and filling. And sometimes those corrections are violent. And this is a violent correction that we haven't seen in a year and a half. And when they happen, they get folks all riled up. And when you get folks riled up, as we said – they make they tend to make emotional decisions that they time regret. and time and time again they regret and like I said, we've had sixty six times that the Nasdaq has done this since nineteen seventy one and when we come back from the break i'm going to give you some more statistics on what happens 
three, six months, and a year later. Okay, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast or Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps. Don't forget to leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, we'd ended right at the commercial break. Jeff was going to get some statistics about the NASDAQ and corrections going back to what, to 1960, Jeff? 1971 is when the NASDAQ composite came into being existence. So it's 51 years old and we just we're logging now our 66th correction so what is that we have a correction roughly every 10 months a 10 percent or more in the nasdaq because we've done it 66 times in 51 years that's yeah. kind of working the math out so what happens after the correction runs it runs its course well, the statistics show the average increase in value after the end of the, a correction, three months after the end of it, roughly 2.5% gain. Six months later, 7.5%. One year later, in excess of 15%. And that's in the NASDAQ. That's just the NASDAQ. It's just the because NASDAQ. That's, what everyone, that's what everyone's focused on right now is, the Na, is, is what's happening in the NASDAQ. Because it has the biggest name, yeah. high-flying tech stocks. Yeah. I mean, you're right about next week is huge to borrow Trump's, <laughs> Trump's word huge, for a month. Huge. huge. It's going to be huge. Because we've got the Fed meeting, right? Mm-hmm. And we also have several of the big mega-cap tech names reporting earnings next week. Apple, I believe Microsoft, both report next week. I think Google is the week after. I might have mixed up one of those in in the 1st of February. Uh, But we've got at least two of those three reporting late next week after the Fed meeting, if I'm not mistaken. And it's going to be very interesting to see how the markets react to that those earnings. It, it, is the, if the earnings news is good and the outlook is good, are they still going to sell? Or is that going to mark a turning point for whatever period of time in the selling on top of selling on top of selling that's been happening in the NASDAQ? Were you looking it up, Kyle? Yeah, I was just looking at the different dates. You know, like next week we've got, uh, you know, some tech names. Got Lam Research on the 26th, ServiceNow on the 26th, KLA 27th, um, MasterCard on the 27th. If you're looking over at some of the Dow names, Apple is on the 27th, Boeing on the 26th. Okay. Home Depot, oh no, wait. Yeah, and Intel's coming out on the 26th. Although Intel has actually been holding up better than most of the tech names. Now, obviously, it did not have the best year last year, but the one thing I have to commend Intel for doing is they announced on Friday that they're building another $20 billion semiconductor factory outside of Columbus, Ohio. 
Now, they're already started working on a plant in Arizona. And so the fact that Intel is bringing a lot of the semiconductor production and manufacturing back to the U.S., you know, I was talking to a client on Friday and I said, the long game of this, the the whole issue with COVID is that this maybe has shook a lot of U.S. companies to the core to realize we need to bring more manufacturing back here to the United States. We need to get it out of China or we need to do more manufacturing in Mexico. And in the long run, five, seven, ten years from now, this might put a major death nail into the economy of China because of companies moving production and U.S. citizens willing to pay more a little bit more for product that they know that they're going to have, that we know we're not going to have supply chain issues. God forbid we have another pandemic into the future and just getting assets out of China because of all the things, not everything that they represent from communism to the human rights violations, all the things that they're doing. And the fact that they're trying to be a number one economic superpower, this COVID might be the death to their economy in the long run in the long run. And so I commend Intel and for disclosure, we own Intel and we still own it in the portfolio. And I can tell you the client I mentioned that to, he applauded the fact that Intel did that and loves the fact that it was owned in his portfolio. So a a lot to chew on next week in terms of, do we get this started, started to turn around? Um, Could we get by the news? Could we get by the news if the Fed statement, I told Joe on Friday morning, I said, if the Fed comes out and says, look, we're going to end the taper in March, we know that we're into the bond buying of March, but then we're going to digest for a month or so and look at the data before we make the decision of when we raise rates. And I'm going to say it right now in this program, the Fed is not going to raise interest rates more than twice next this year, no more than two times. I'm putting. I'm drawing Jeff, the line of the fence. Just like Jeff's Dow call. The difference. The, Dow? the difference between Kyle's two interest rate increases and the general market's expectation of, on average, three is is twenty five basis points. Though I did see. I know it's someone, not a wild call. I, but. I did see somebody say that the Fed might do something bold, and their first interest rate increase would be a half percent. And if dad was on there, he'd say, child, please, please. Yeah. You know, they better not no. do that. I don't think they're going <laughs> to do that because we saw, we saw the uh, unemployment numbers or unemployment claims rise this past week. And so we saw that increase, but here's the thing. And we said this on, we would discuss this on last weekend show. The federal reserve does not have tools in their toolbox to help with monetary inflation. They don't. Because our monetary inflation isn't driven based on cheap credit that is being spent by the consumer. In fact, household debt has only increased 2.2% from the pandemic. That is, you know, really almost a historic low. The inflation is driven by demand that's outsizing the supply. And so once we get COVID further in our rear view, we get the supply change opened up, which could take this whole year to get to the Federal Reserve raising interest rates isn't going to help bring down monetary inflation because we still have banks parking trillions of dollars in overnight repos of excess loan reserves because they're not lending money to anybody because nobody needs it. Nobody wants money because they're flush with cash from all the money they got from the COVID relief. 
and the child tax credits. And now they're making more wages. Yes, they're having to spend a little bit more at the store. But if you've gone to the stores recently, the shelves are bare. So if the Democrats think they have a chance in Hades (laughs) of keeping the House when you've got over 23 or no, 27 Democrats from the House are retiring. I don't know if you all heard that. They're retiring. We could see 30 Democrat uh, Congress people retiring this next election cycle. I mean, they're toast. They're absolute toast. So the GOP will be taking over the House, if not the Senate or both. So that's that as far as November is concerned. Okay. So with that, we, I don't know if that's how we want to end the last segment. I threw my little political jab, but I had to I had to get it in there. But we get COVID further in the rear view, get the supply chains opened up. That'll help moderate inflation. The Federal Reserve doesn't have the toolbox or the tools in the toolbox to do it. So with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. We'll take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. We are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So for the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, um, as we normally use the second hour to go into investor education, you know, there was a a topic and a subject matter that uh, that I've wanted to to talk about for some time, and I've been thinking about it all week, and it and it really talks about uh, investors' behavior and improving investors' behavior, and so doing some research and really where this spur, you know, really where I got the spark to want to look into this and research it is several weeks ago. Uh, Dalbar released a study, and they release a study on an annual basis talking about investor behavior and their typical rates of return um, and, and what their experience has been as managing money of their on their own. And, and from time to time when I meet with prospective clients and current clients, we talk about investor psychology and how investor psychology can do a lot of damage to portfolios. So in my research, I actually – ran across a presentation that was put together by the mutual fund family Munder. I want to give them the credit for for putting this presentation together, which I thought was just fantastic presentation that I wanted to pass along to our listeners because it's got a lot of good food for thought, but it also includes some of these Dalbar statistics about investor psychology 
and the rates of return that individual investors have been achieving over a very long period of time, in fact, the 20-year time period, and how critical it is to have the connection with an investment professional to assist them, but also how to not allow humans, the, your human psyche become a roadblock to investing for your future. So looking at this presentation, you know, historic historic invested investment behavior really threatens the ability to accomplish object objectives and achieve re and achieve returns. The result is, is that investors are not going to reach their goals, whether it be retirement, saving for higher education, what have you. Investment returns may be far more dependent on investment behavior than market performance. And so investors who hold their investments typically are going to earn a higher return over time than those who attempt to time the market. And there's an old saying that, that I use is it's about time in the market and not timing. So looking at emotional decisions, you know, these emotional decisions are often based on biases and not objective analysis. So potential investor problems that folks run into is identifying, first they're looking and trying to identify trends that don't exist in the marketplace. Uh, they also overweight information in the press. That brings up the example that we've talked about for many years of the client that came in to our office in 2008 and wanted us to liquidate his accounts because Glenn Beck told him that he needed to liquidate all of his investments. That's, yep. a, that's a particularly egregious example of someone overweighing information from someone in the press that has absolutely no investment experience whatsoever. And as a matter of fact, has a bias towards promoting a investment philosophy that enriches their advertisers, which in turn enriches the person that is delivering the message i.e. all the gold ads that you hear on shows like Glenn Beck or uh, the, the conser really the conservative side of the aisle. I'm trying to think of some of those other guys. Glenn Beck, uh, Sean, Hannity. Sean Hannity. You know, you listen to these shows, every one of them has got a gold ad on. I think Limbaugh, as at one time, may still, I haven't listened to Limbaugh in so long, run, runs gold ads. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and again, we talk about on the show all the time about overweighting the information from the press because, again, this 24-hour news cycle we feel is doing a lot more damage to the investor psyche than if they just turned it off and tune it out a little bit more or if they do continue to listen to it to take things with a little bit of a grain of salt and realize that the information is going to be coming to them with a certain bent to it depending upon who's the person that's providing the information. So, you know, something else talking about emotional decisions and, and, and decisions based on bias and not objective analysis. You know, a lot of investors, I mean, investors giving greater weight to the equivalent amount of gains and losses. And really it comes down to, and, and I ask this question all the time of prospective clients or even current clients, is remembering losses more than gains. And that's one thing that, that in particular really holds investors back is is always having i mean losses from 2000 losses from 2008 still being so fresh in the front of their mind uh, that's holding them back from making decisions to get involved with the stock market 
you know, something else from an emotional decision standpoint is overestimating their own ability to manage their wealth. And I know with a lot of the self-help books out there, with a lot of the blogs and a lot of the websites, I think there's a false sense of security that can be built into an investor's mindset saying, you know what, I can do this on my own and I can do better doing this part-time on my own. And I can tell you, you know, with 70-plus years of combined experience sitting in the studio, we can tell you that you cannot manage money part-time and be successful over the long term. It's just cannot happen. It will not happen because things move so much quicker in this day and age. And then finally, you know, this all can lead to repeatedly making the same mistakes when you have these biases and you don't take an objective analysis when it comes to investing. So let's talk about the identifying of trends or patterns where none exist. You know, one thing that in individual investors do all the time is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the hot stock or chasing the hot investment du jour for many years. Hot asset class. Hot asset class. For many years, it's been what? Precious metals. It's been all about gold. The late 90s was internet stocks. Uh, and then, but gold here, especially this century, uh, or really precious metals in general, have been one of the hottest areas. And then, you know, here uh, lately, in the last uh, three, four years, it's been social media. Uh, we've got the Amazons of the world, the Teslas of the world, mm-hmm. uh, th- that have been certainly being chased uh, by, by investors and bidding them up quite a bit. They've had co- they've had a, a, a pretty uh, Good correction here in the last few months, which I think has contributed to the, the, this market uh, kind of so not experiencing the kind of gains that we thought that that should have here in the first four months of the year. And and before we go to the commercial break, another issue that investors run into is the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict when trends will reverse themselves and feeling that they're a, a good timer of knowing when to pull the trigger. So we're going to pause right there, take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investment behavior, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So talking about improving investor behavior, going through a presentation, talking about investor psychology, before we went to commercial break, we were talking about a lot of issues that investors run into, in particular those that are, that are managing their own assets. And one, one big issue that investors run into is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the stock du jour or the sector du jour. Uh, we also talked about the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict trends are going to – being able to identify and predict when trends are going to reverse themselves – uh, another issue that that individual investors run into is focusing on investments doing well, but ignoring 
those investments that are not doing well in their portfolio. And I've run into this quite often when I do portfolio reviews and analysis when I, I talk to prospective clients that are very happy about being in a position that pays a 10, 12, 13% dividend yield, and they're completely honed and focused in on the fact that they're giving a 12 to 13% dividend yield, and they're not realizing that they've lost 50% or 75% of their original investment, of their principal, because the value of the stock has just plummeted, but they were dazzled by just the yield. So let's talk about uh, Dalbar. Now, Dalbar is a company that was gathering a lot of investor data. Uh, they've been doing this for years and years and years. They just came out with a report that has information through 2013. And so what Dalbar found in their survey is that clients are motivated by two main emotions, and we've talked about them on this show for years and years and years. The two emotions are fear and greed. They're not motivated by sound investment practice. Investment returns are typic typically increase when there is a disciplined behavior. And, I mean, that's one thing that we've preached on the Money Wise program going back to 2005. It's about having a very strict philosophy, as we do here at Davidson Capital Management, as a balanced manager. A, a disciplined behavior has many different that's aspects. Right. You know, one of those, and I think one of the most important parts of being disciplined is especially in a retirement account is participating in your 401k contributing as as much as you can if you can contribute the maximum amount to your 401k that obviously that's going to give you the the highest probability of reaching your investment goals in retirement contributing that money every single month and investing on a consistent basis Time and time again, and I've got dozens of examples of clients that are in identical investments over long periods of time, and the ones that are contributing to their accounts on a monthly, biweekly basis are outperforming those clients that don't contribute anything at all with identical investments, identical allocations, because it gives us the the investment manager the ability to to buy could always be in the market buying securities maybe you know like right now we've had opportunities to buy some of these funds at lower prices because the markets have been down mm -hmm. and by dollar cost averaging all the time and having the discipline to contrib contributing to your retirement and even if you're not contributing if you if you've maxed out your 401k and you still have money that's left over to to put into some sort of retirement account, get a, get a tax, get a, just a, a regular brokerage account, start contributing consistently to that one too, and investing consistently in, in that in that type of account. Over the long period, it is going to pay tremendous dividends. That's right. So, as you said, Jeff, disciplined behavior could mean investment philosophy and strategy. It could mean paying yourself first and participating and saving for your nest egg. Now, the Dalbar study also uh, went and calculated the guest right ratio. And what the guest right ratio is is the percentage of time the average equity investor correctly guessed the direction of the market over a 20-year period ending December 31st of 2012 was 63%. So a little bit more than half. Now, granted, how do they gather I this data? I have no idea. How I'm they not sure. I mean, again, 
they have some type of matrix and process they go through to gather this data. The bottom line is investors are driven to do the wrong thing by the psychological factors that overtake their rational decision-making. And that's, what they, that's again, what, what Dalbar is finding in their studies. And so as we get further into this Dalbar study, we look at uh, investors are driven to do the wrong thing by psychological factors that overtake rational decision-making. And so they've actually listed a number of psychological factors that every investor has when they're going through their decision-making process. And so this kind of going through all of these that are presented by Dalbar, the first one is we have loss aversion. And this is when an investor is expecting to find high returns with low risk. And I think that's any utopian dream of any investor is being able to get a high rate of return with little to no well, risk. Well, isn't this in kind of a, a selling or a attempted selling point for equity index annuities? Oh, brother, did you hit that one right on the head? You're absolutely right. I mean... They use this psych. I mean, again, marketing firms are looking at psychological factors that drive investors' decision making, and they're putting it into their presentations. And like you said, this loss aversion, all the upside, none of the downside, every, throwing the guaranteed word right. out there is what it's. We're psychologically wired to be attracted to those kinds of pitches. And so this loss aversion causes the investor to search for investments that either don't exist and results in either taking no action or later discovering that the selected investment fails to meet their expectations, a la equity indexed annuities. And, and let's give an example. Recently, you, we, we'd, we've seen all sorts of equity indexed annuities over the years. Yes. And I can tell you that our typical experience – for an investor that has held an equity indexed annuity, say over at least a five-year time period, that they typically return about a third of what you would have received had you just put the money into an S and P 500 index fund. Oh, if you're just talking straight S and P, it's even it's even less than a third, Jeff. It's less than a third. I did a comparison on a most recent prospective client of our moderate allocation, our middle of the road more conservative allocation model that we use with more retirees or pending retirees at Davidson Capital Management, and their returns were a third or worse compared to our returns in a balanced allocation. So if you're talking 100% stock... So, so what we mean by a third or worse, like for five years, the the moderate allocation might have returned 65% total return mm -hmm. over a five-year period. Net of fees and expenses. Net of all fees, all expenses. And an, an equity index annuity might have returned uh, 20% or less. Yeah. Total return. Total return. And the, re and the difference between the two is... Well, that 40% is going to the insurance company. So, you know, talking about these psychological factors, again, we talked about loss aversion. Another one is narrow framing, and that's when you make decisions without considering all the implications. The result is a quick decision-making with the consequences that facts are uncovered after inappropriate investments are made. So you make a quick decision, and then you uncover some more facts after the fact that you made that decision and you're like, uh-oh. This fits very well with that example I just used about that the client that came in and said, liquidate my portfolio because Glenn Beck said to. 
And then what? One week later, two weeks later, Glenn Beck went on on air and said, "Hey, I'm I, a schlub. I, I I said this on my show here recently, but don't listen to me because I don't know anything about investments." So the the inappropriate investment that was made was pulling the investments. That's that right. was the inappropriate investment was taking everything out and putting it into cash. That's right. So here's another psychological factor that affects investors and their decision making is anchoring. Now, anchoring is a very powerful communication method but can mislead investors unless it is used with caution. So investors can be misled about the stability of an investment if analogies are used to represent stability and analogies of growth can also lead to unrealistic beliefs and expectations again leads back to indexed annuities when i read this i just think of sales pitches that are more prevalent in the marketplace and even on different radio shows across the state and again using now this psychological effect of anchoring you know, presenting and misleading investors with the stability and the potential performance of this and, product. And, and we've been mentioning equity index annuities, for example, but there are other examples such as private placement, REITs. That's right. You know, they're sold based on their yield, but mm-hmm. we kind of gloss over the fact that how illiquid they are and how the, the value of the security could go down and how uh, those, those, t- those aspects of the investment are not discussed. But the focus is all on the yield. That's right. And, and not, and not you know, can I get my money out if I need to liquidate? How fast can I get a hold of my money? And what is going to be the underlying value of my principal investment? Kind of going back to that. I'm getting a 10% yield, but I've lost 50% of my principal investment. Well, how is that beneficial to your portfolio? Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investor behavior and we'll do that after this you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management we'll be back after the break welcome back you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management if you'd like to learn more about the money wise guys you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on monday you can reach us in our local corpus christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five Two one six two, and if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So, continuing our presentation in the second hour of improving investor behavior, and and again going into uh, psychological factors that Dalbar, who is a a financial industry information gathering company that does a lot of surveys. You know, I wanted to do something talking about the psychological factors and psychological effects that individual investors have uh, or, or how the psychological mindsets can, can hurt investors' portfolios over the long term. And so we were going through the different psychological factors that have this effect. We've talked about loss aversion and narrow framing and anchoring. But we talk about next is mental mental accounting, and that's when you take undue risk in one area and avoid rational risk in others. And I would say the best example, Jeff, in this area would be in precious metals. That would be that would be one area. I could I would also say that in the, to us in this market environment, taking risk in long maturity fixed income securities. That's right. And avoiding 
the the quote unquote risk that is inherent in, in investing in stocks to us, and this may seem odd to some people listening to the show, is we believe there's more risk in owning long maturity fixed income securities, whether they be municipal, government, corporate, than there is in owning the equivalent stocks of the same companies. We see more risk in owning a 30-year Exxon bond than we do maybe owning Exxon stock or AT&T or Verizon or hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other companies. So even though you're talking about gold in particular, because we've seen a lot of uh, many clients that have, that have had large positions in gold, but I could also say the same thing for cash. You know, just plain yeah. old straight cash. They're, the risk that they're take, uh, investors are taking by having large amounts of cash in their portfolios is they're not getting any growth whatsoever. So, so mental accounting can be as damaging to returns as any other psychological factor, since investors can be misled into inappropriate investments. Uh, another psychological factor that can affect your portfolio. Now, this is interesting, diversification. Now, in diversification, you're obviously seeking to reduce risk, but simply using different sources. Now, it's extremely valuable investment strategy, but can also be misused to create a false sense of protection that results in potential return-killing action. And I think the best example of this, Dad, is you talk about Jim Cramer when people call up and say, am I diversified? Yes. And they have three or four stocks. Five. Yeah, five stocks saying, am I diversified? And Kramer's saying, well, you're in this industry, you're in that industry. Yeah, you're diversified. So you have your entire portfolio in five stocks. That is not, in our opinion, diversification. Something else where diversification saying, yeah, I'm diversified. What if you owned a bunch of different companies in the same industry? And I hate to quit picking on gold, but gold miners, for instance, I have reviewed a portfolio this year that had a ton of different gold miners and and different precious metal miners, and guess what? They feel that they're diversified, but they're concentrated in one industrial arena. And so that's, again, when we talk about diversification, we're talking stocks, bonds, large cap, mid cap, small cap, international bonds, domestic bonds, short maturity bonds, cash, cash. That's diversification. It's not five stocks of five different industrial companies and that's it. Or having 15 companies in one industrial sector, that's not diversification. So be very, very careful and understand what true diversification means. Uh, Another psychological factor, according to Dalbar, and this is a classic, herding. Copying the behavior of others, even in the face of unfavorable outcomes. Investors that go along with the crowd, simply because there is a crowd, tend to avoid catastrophic errors, but seldom achieve above-average results. High returns are not achieved by herding. And, I mean, again, that herd mentality, I mean, it has been reported in so many different publications how... You know, again, long-term success. I mean, even t- thinking more of a contra- you know, being more of a contrarian, as opposed to following the herd. Another f- psychological factor is regret. You know, treating errors of commission, which basically means decisions that you have made, 
you're treating them more seriously than errors of omission or a decision that you should have made. That basically means being extremely hard on yourself for deciding to buy this stock or this mutual fund as opposed to something else. And investors who who fear decision-making lose their upside potential through inaction or reversal. Inaction can prevent losses caused by poor decisions but is unlikely to produce higher potential returns. So again, inaction. You don't want to have inaction. Another psychological effect, media response. Before you go into that, yeah. I think the inaction kind of ties in with, with folks overestimating their own ability to manage their their wealth. That's right. Because they get too busy. Mm-hmm. And when you get too busy you, you you and you run out of time or you're too tired, you've got other responsibilities, then you can't you cannot take the you can't set aside enough time to really look at your portfolio, understand what's going on, and take action when action needs to be taken. That's right. And so here's another one that again goes along with the media. Media response. It's a tendency, it's another psychological effect. It's a tendency to react to news without reasonable examination going back to that Glenn Beck example familiar media sources have become less reliable as they compete with newer faster and low-cost outlets at the same time new media outlets seldom have very thorough authentication the question of reliability rises raise, excuse me raises the concern about reacting to news so, again, that media response, and we've talked about that ad nauseum on this program. And then, finally, psychological factor that holds back and affects investors' portfolios over the long term is optimism. Now, Dad, I know we've used on this program, what's the bad four-letter word? Hope. Hope. The belief that good things happen to me and bad things happen to others. Optimistic investors hold on to investments after it becomes evident that losses are not likely to be recovered. Holding on to poor investments is yet another way psychological factors can reduce potential returns. Hope is a bad four-letter word. So with all this said, let's talk about the performance of the average equity investor. And this is a 20-year statistic, and this is through 12-31-2013. According to Dalbar, the average equity investor's return for 20 years annualized is 5.02%. Now, here's the tough pill to swallow. The S&P 500 index, same time period, up 9.22%, almost double what the individual average equity investor has realized in their portfolio for a 20-year time period because of the psychological factors that we just went over. I mean, I think that speaks volumes. I'd be curious, and I know you didn't do this, I'd be curious to know what a a moderate allocation portfolio had done during that time period. I know it it's going to be close to that. To I mean, when we're talking about the S&P 500, we're talking about a 100% stock portfolio, which is not something that we would recommend to any of our listeners to put 100% of their investments in stock. The optimum rate of return for us lies somewhere between these two numbers. But because you know, 5% is very low. You know, most people plugged into their their investment 
projections for the future when they were when they're trying to figure out how much money they needed for retirement and and they and they used a particular rate of return in their investment portfolio. Uh, I don't think anybody was using five percent. Well, a twenty-year bond twenty years ago would have yielded more than five percent, mm-hmm. which means if you just bought a twenty-year bond twenty years ago and held it for the twenty years, you would have done better than the average investor from the study. I, I think the average percent in stock. Yeah, the average investor, by and large, I, I would say, sold sells out at the bottom and is slow to get back in again. Well, you know, I, I think, again, Jeff, when you when you allow your emotions to dictate your buys and sells, I mean, I think emotion, and along with these psychological factors that we went into, but emotion, your, emo- your emotional attachment to your assets and your nest egg, again, I, I think is what's causing so many investors to make these bad decisions. And one huge advantage of having... A professional money management team like a Davidson Capital Management, an RIA that has discretionary control, is they help separate that emotion from your nest egg because you're relying on their expertise and their experience of being in the trenches of managing assets to make those decisions for you. You're you're separating your site those psychological factors from your assets because they're out of your control, and by taking those assets out of your control. That's eliminating is it's eliminating a lot more emotion, and it becomes a lot more difficult for you to try to pull the wrong trigger on making a decision in your portfolio. You know, and you know again, an old saying that investors would have. I mean, here's something an investor would say to themselves: you know, a stock's historic high was fifty dollars, but then it declines rapidly. The next thought in an investor's mind is, well, once my stock gets back to fifty, I'll sell, and that so- is. Hope, hope. Okay, well, we're going to take our last commercial break. So we're going to take the break, come back. We'll be wrapping up this and proving investor behavior. After we come back from break, you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so we've been talking this whole hour about improving investor behavior and as dad said the commercial break we've been talking about all the bad things investors have been doing and i promise you we're getting ready to get to how to improve investor behavior but before we get there i want to talk about Again, the most common and potentially most damaging behavior that investors can have in their portfolio. Number one is an over-concentration in a particular position, and it can lead to unwarranted risk. So again, owning too much gold, owning too much in one particular industrial sector. Too much fixed income. Too much fixed income. Too much cash. That's right. It's important to understand that the market does not generally reward those who take risk that can be diversified away. So the reason why, again, we maintain a balanced philosophy of Davidson Capital Management we've had for the past quarter century and for the next quarter century, we'll continue to have that balanced allocation. Remember that the market is not going to reward those non-diversified huge risks that you take in concentrating in your portfolio in one particular area. 
And also you have to remember, investors are not adequately rewarded for the additional risk that they're assuming. You know, failure to diversify a portfolio, you know, if a portfolio is not diversified enough, the potential losses may be greater during market downfalls and macroeconomic-driven events. So, again, this is why it's key to have diversification, have a balanced allocation, and, again, to have it actively managed. That's an absolute key. So how do we correct the behavior? You know, how do investors correct the behavior? Well, first and foremost is having an asset allocation, an initial asset allocation model and an ongoing asset allocation model, and an allocation model that is rebalanced. It's not set it and forget it because we have seen that more times than we can count doing portfolio Set it and forget reviews. it is, is one of the, the most common asset allocation that is typically found with uh, a relationship that is more sales oriented than it is active management or meaning the investor has a relationship with a full service broker uh, they they're not in the business of managing portfolios they they typically set an initial allocation and when, the, when the money's deposited and they move on when you buy an annuity the initial asset allocation is set and then that's it you move on so another way to correct investor behavior is setting and managing realistic expectations. If you're in a moderate allocation that's actively managed, you know, don't don't expect to be seeing a 15 to 20 percent annualized rate of return. That's just not realistic. I, I, you know, today when we when I see prospective clients, the issue is not having the 15% plus, the, the double-digit type return expectations like we saw in the late 1990s. Mm-hmm. What it is is it's saying, oh, I want a 10% return, but I don't want, but I only want 20% of my money in stocks. That's what we're seeing now. There, there, there's a there's a aversion for risk, but the 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 return uh, expectations are reasonable by and large. But what isn't reasonable is the mix of assets to achieve that return. And that's where we have to say, now, you have to understand, if you want an 8%, 9% return, you're going to have to have 70% of your money in stocks given the current level of interest rates. And that's when the investors say, well, wait a second, I don't want to have 70% of my money in stocks. And so you have to bring down those expectations based on how much risk you're willing to take. So another way investors can help improve their returns and their behavior is maintaining true diversification. Not diversifying in multiple companies in one industrial sector, it's having mid-cap asset classes, large-cap asset classes, small-cap asset classes in a multitude of different industries. Foreign and domestic. Foreign and domestic, fixed income and equity, cash holdings maintain that true diversification another great way to help improve returns and jeff i know you said this earlier in the hour dollar cost averaging into investments if you have a 401k if you have an ira if you have a taxable account setting up monthly contributions or if you're in a 401k per pay period contributions we know in 25 years of business we've had clients that have been with us from the very beginning and we can go back and look at the two different clients in the same allocation model one client that's putting in money every month another client that doesn't put another dollar in after their initial investment 
and the rates of return and the same allocation model is shocking. We've seen dollar cost averaging work with our own eyes, with our own client base. It's somewhere, it it's somewhere between 2 and 3% per year compounded, which doesn't sound like a lot, but get out of cal- that's a difference between a 7% compounded return and a 10% compounded return. And that adds up to serious money over the long period. Absolutely. Another way to help improve your returns, staying in the market. Now, again, it's time in, not timing. And if you have a proper allocation, you have an asset allocation model, you have true diversification in your dollar cost averaging, even when we have very choppy waters, you know, again, what we're trying to convey is the all-in, all-out strategy is not going to work because you're never going to be able to time it perfectly either way. So if you have an active, actively managed, balanced allocation over the long term, you will be rewarded. And finally, and I, I, God, this point is so good. I'm glad it's the last point. Investors need to stay focused on their goals that they have for their nest egg in their portfolio and not be focused on the markets and the day-to-day gyrations. And stay focused on your long-term goals. I cannot say that any stronger or clearer. And that is so hard to do in an environment now where we are saturated in media. It is. Via television and gazillion channels of TV the internet, whether it's on a computer sitting at our desk at work, a computer sitting on our desk at home, or our smartphones that are tied into CNN news feeds or whatever, or CNBC, CNBC news feeds, Market Watch. There's, you have to consume media uh, lightly. Well, go on a diet. <laughs> <laughs> the Atkins diet of. Uh, of uh, media consumption, too much of too much media can lead to being paralyzed making decisions. And we've learned from this Dalbar study of psychological effects on investing and what creates poor investment returns is the lack of being able to make a decision because you're being paralyzed by fear. So, Dad, I'm glad we kept you awake during this presentation, just barely, but it's something that I've been thinking about all week. I wanted to get some good, you know, meaty statistics and just information to pass along and the psychological effects and, and how they can affect both positively and negatively a portfolio. So we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. For my father, John, my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend into your financial health. We'll talk to you next week.